So what was your first programming language? My first programming language was, it depends on what's, what do you count as a first programming language? Well, it would be the first programming language you used or tried I to learn used. or saw, maybe. So, yeah, because I was, my father was a programming teacher or software development teacher. And uh, so he did lots of programming in Pascal, Turbo Pascal, and later Delphi. And uh, so I think that was the first programming language I saw. And then the first programming language I used was probably PHP. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I got myself a book, or my father got himself a book. Uh, one of the O'Reilly ones. And from that one I learned PHP, enough to be dangerous. Uh, what was your first programming language? I believe it was C++. Cool. Which... Why? I, <laughs> good, good question. So, I was interested in computers, and I had one that could run Windows 95, but this was before we had the internet, I think. Yep. And a friend at school whose brother was super into programming, so he was getting into programming, he had a programming book. So he had a book on C++, I don't remember which one, and uh, a copy of Borland C++. Nice compiler and IDE thing. So I started working through that and built terminal programs. And then I started, like after I'd written files and taken inputs and produced outputs and all of that fun stuff, and I really, really did enjoy it. I started looking for like, but, but how do I draw a window? I want to do, I want to do UI because that was a program to me. Like terminal was not, not real software indeed it wasn't what i was using it wasn't what i wanted to do necessarily and that's when i started sort of skipping forward in the book and looking for and it looked like it would get into into the, these things and then i looked at that code and it was like oh but i don't understand this and then i went back to where i was and like the next step was something called i think classes or object-oriented programming and none of it made any sense. Uh, so I stopped doing C++, or rather I kept doing uh, command line programs and swearing about it a little bit, and then I probably stopped. And then I picked up HTML, and that was what brought me back into programming. Yeah. And I know there's a whole discussion about whether or not HTML is a programming language. And it's, I find that a, a tricky conversation because I absolutely agree that it's not useful and it's not helpful to sort of judge HTML to not be a programming language. But in some sort of technical fashion, I sort of agree that, well, it's just a different type of language, isn't it? It's not supposed to be a programming language. It's supposed to be a markup language. I wouldn't say 
you're not a programmer because you're doing HTML uh, and CSS. I would just say that maybe HTML is not formally a programming language. But I, I seen the argument and like, ooh, I, I definitely don't want to spend any time on the side of the people who argue <laughs> that HTML is not a programming language and people that do it are not programmers. That's not my crowd. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I started programming seriously with HTML and then there was some CSS and some JavaScript, which I didn't didn't go all that deep on and it wasn't that deep back then. And then Perl, PHP, Python, Elixir, there's been some Java, some .NET, some other things, but but those are the ones I've spent serious time with. Cool. I it just struck me when you said HTML. I didn't. Apparently, I don't consider that a programming language. When someone asks me, "What was your first programming language?" <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, but right. So, so I, I think it's worth sort of discussing that part because I think <sighs> so definitions can be sort of technically correct and feel exclusionary, but not be intended to be exclusionary, right? Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to carry any buckets of water for people that are like, oh, HTML and CSS is not real programming. It's like, you're absolutely programming the computer to do a thing. Yep. But I mean, in useful definitions, yeah, maybe they are, maybe they aren't programming languages. I've never looked up the definition of what a programming language is. I doubt Turing completeness is the only thing <laughs> to it. No, it and isn't. I bet HTML is, uh, can be made Turing complete. Uh, if you, I believe CSS is Turing complete. CSS is definitely Turing complete. HTML might have some time left before it is. I really hope so. <laughs> uh, but its cousin, XML, is Turing complete. And their cousin, YAML, is Turing complete. So, and, and this is the Turing completeness of both YAML and XML is a known attack vector. It's a vulnerability. So it's, I guess it's good if HTML never will become Turing complete. Yeah. I would argue that it is so at least. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit tricky when, <laughs> when I, oh yeah, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily put HTML in my list of known programming language languages. I would put it in my list of sort of web technologies that I know. Yeah. But I don't feel strongly enough to <laughs> to sort of fight people about it. And I, I absolutely don't want people to feel like their their web programming skill set somehow isn't programming a computer. I mean, I've spent tons of time in sort of visual programming e type of programs. I mean that's programming. Yep. <laughs> for sure whatever whatever way you're making the computer do your thing uh, do the thing it's yep yeah but there yeah it's it's just definitions and formality like 
there's this discussion about are you an engineer or not which is always hilarious when when people bring up that discussion because those definitions of what an engineer is and whether it's a protected title differ by country yep there's the um, scandinavian i think it's a scandinavian plus german tradition so i suppose yeah where engineer is a very specific thing um or maybe not very but i don't believe it's a protected title in sweden right Nah, not at all. Uh, And there's also, you know, the engineers, if you say engineer in Swedish, ingenjör, then it could mean that the person is working with blowing bridges up for the military. Because they are combat engineers. Um, Because that's what what it means in Swedish. But if you are, for instance, a civil ingenjör, then you're building the bridges. Uh, and if you're a hög school ingenjör, then you're building the bridges, but with less math. Uh, so, and you could also be a gymnasium ingenjör, and then you could also be building the bridges, but with even less math, or maybe the same amount of math because uh, it was uh, bättre för. Um, <laughs> I should really refrain from speaking Swedish, but I'm tired. But Engineers are not lawyers. Yeah. I ha- I have a feeling about what I think is a programming language to me, but I don't expect it to sort of translate necessarily translate to other people because it seems like it's a very infected conversation and I don't yeah. I don't care to I don't care to put weight anywhere in it. <laughs> yeah. Like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, that was my road in, but I didn't know how to do if statements and uh, while and for loops and stuff from C++. So that was that was good. Um, it, it gave me some foundation when I found JavaScript, and JavaScript was where had a lot of confusing parts already to it. Yep. Uh, preloading images and stuff to make your hovers work. Yeah, it was wild. Oh, yeah. But it does look like C++. If you squint. Yeah, so all the curlies and stuff were very similar. Yeah. Uh, did you do any template programming in C++? Do you remember no, that? No, 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 no. Uh, None this, at all. Uh, this was standard in, standard out, and uh, some uh, some uh, string wrangling and some if statements. Uh, it was yeah. Maybe this was in the <laughs> in the old days when C++ was a boring language. Um, a lot of exciting things has happened in C plus plus land. Yeah. Um, they have a an algorithms module or file. C plus plus doesn't have modules yet. That contains all kind of exciting stuff. <laughs> it's like the enum module from uh, Elixir. Yeah. It has everything you need. <laughs> exactly. Um, except for the three functions that are in list or kernel. So, do you feel like you have moved on from languages? Hmm. I I read a an article or a blog post by Jeff Atwood, I think. Yeah, because I don't think it was from Joel Spolsky. Um, many years ago, that said, stop programming PHP, basically. Oh. And I took it to heart. And, and did. Yeah. So I 
I haven't programmed PHP for years now. Um, not even in a WordPress context. Hmm. I try to avoid WordPress too, but it's that's hard for real um, because it's everywhere, uh, and it's I believe it's quite good software. I don't know. I shouldn't say anything about WordPress. It's everywhere, so I somehow it succeeds. It's successful software. It is indeed. That, that's the sort of value neutral thing to say. Yeah, and I'm. I, it seems like I'm in the mood to say stupid things right now. So that we're talking is perfect. So PHP is behind me. I. So why did you stop PHP? Then? Because I ported all my projects to Python and Django. Uh, and then I wrote everything I needed in Python and Django. But that wasn't the reason you stopped using PHP. You read a blog post and it was telling you to stop programming PHP. Nah, I don't, I don't think that was, I don't think that was, was the reason either. It's just a good, good thing to blame. Yeah, I definitely had strong influence from, from the outside world to, as to why I stopped, mostly stopped doing PHP. As well. I think it was the blog post PHP a fractal of bad design. <laughs> That's a very good one though. Yeah, but it's also sort of kicking a perfectly usable language. Uh, I mean, it's not wrong. That, that's the tricky part. The reason I'm a little bit hesitant to sort of bash on PHP is the same reason I try to restrain myself with, from bashing on JavaScript. I don't think either of them are particularly great tools for the job, but they are also so very beginner friendly and or at least beginner accessible. Yeah. They are what a beginner will find typically. Yeah. Which means that when you are when you bash on those languages, even at the sort of technical uh, design discussion level you are also you also end up kicking a bunch of inexperienced programmers as collateral and i don't really want to do that yeah are you coming back to the technically correct part <laughs> yeah so it's it's uh, it's a little bit similar yeah isn't it that it's also one of the things i never that never made uh, sort of functional programming feel accessible to me. Mm -hmm. That it seemed like, oh, this is technically so correct and superior that I had no interest at all in it. <laughs> it's like when people tell you you should be using Arch or you should rewrite it in Rust or um, I don't even have a TV. Like... <laughs> It's not really coming from a, from a place of love, typically. Yeah, I I've heard so so you you've spoken well of Arch, but I don't feel like you've been hitting me over the head with Arch. Nah, I know people that have spoken well of functional programming. You for you for one have have spoken about functional programming in a way that have made me at least a little bit curious. Cool. I thought I was doing some head hitting using functional yeah, programming. Maybe a little bit, yeah. but but you're you're doing it with love or That's at good. least enthusiasm. 
yeah, that that also matters. I think what puts me off is when people are like dismissive of wherever a person is currently at and like, oh no, uh, yeah, you have problems because you're using Ubuntu, you should be doing Arch. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's not useful to anyone. Or like Nix is clearly the correct way of do, solving this. <laughs> okay, yeah, but that doesn't my, make my microphone work. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I think the Nix people are more chill than the Arch people. They, they haven't been, um, they haven't seen the truth in, in the same way. Yeah. But Nix and Nixos is a more, the main target audience, if I may say so myself, for Nix and Nixos uh, is more people who want to get things done rather than people who want to customize things until, uh, yeah, the heat death of the universe. Yeah, I've I've seen sort of similar patterns around all of uh, around both of them, but yeah, overall I don't think the Nixo Nix people have been quite as aggressive as some of the Arch people. Mm. But it's like uh, once doing uh, non-profit work where we were setting up computers for uh, for refugees. We were setting them up with uh, uh, absolutely legitimate copies of Windows, I'm sure. Oh, cool. Actually, most of them were because they were donated from a company that had, nice. I guess, an OEM whatever license. Um, okay. That's very nice. Uh, but yeah, and there was this guy there that absolutely every time we had a session where we were installing computers had to bring up the fact that we should be installing Linux. And it's like, yeah, okay. Does that help these people get more sort of well integrated and connected to society? Because I have a feeling that figuring out what the problem is with their computer without knowing the local language and maybe not having great English is going to be more challenging when you're using Linux than it is when using Windows, just due to pure numbers could be and also like if they show it to someone they know that might know a bit about computers are they more likely to know linux or windows and is skype and other sort of critical um, programs more likely to work there were quite a few reasons that i found it perfectly reasonable uh to just install Windows because we weren't trying to turn these people into programmers. We were trying to give them a working computer. Yeah. And and especially when you had Windows available. So it's a ve- that was a very pragmatic choice and he was a very idealistic yeah. person. But and like I, I respect that feeling, but if the discussion is sort of shut down in various degrees of firmness over time at some point it might make sense to sort of concede that or realize that that's maybe not the conversation where we should be having and maybe there's a time and a place for everything yeah Uh, and also maybe this is i don't know if this is a a um, uh, idealistic between uh, (laughs) 
blah, idealistic versus pragmatic thing. Because... Yeah, maybe I just thought it was annoying. I mean, he didn't do a good job of pitching it either. So. Nah, his, it, it seems like he needed a better marketing department. Um, because if, if you want to be idealistic and try to evangelize stuff, maybe you need to start from where the person you want to change is. Yeah. That usually works better. Yeah. Uh, so what's the, let's see, you're, you're mainly using Elixir nowadays, right? I am. Uh, and cool. I feel like I, I did leave PHP intentionally behind. I had spent a lot of time doing a lot of things in both the WordPress and Drupal world, uh, with PHP. And I didn't feel like it had a future for me. I knew these ecosystems would remain uh, that's not wasn't the concern but i didn't find satisfaction in the way things were working there and with some of your help i like i already knew i wanted to try python more because i had enjoyed sort of the clean uh, niceness of the language uh, the whole uh, significant white space thing. I mean, people criticize it, but it's very pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's a very neat language in many ways. So, I moved over there and got some help from you to get into web dev for Python. And we did some Django hacking, right? Exactly, lots of it. Cool. Yeah. So I did Python for a good long while, and then when Elixir came along and sort of uh, started blowing my mind a little bit, I latched onto that and got invested. And now I'm, I'm deeply invested. Uh, and I feel like I've carved out a bit of a home in the language and ecosystem, which I didn't do. So Python felt like a tool that I knew and I knew the packages and I knew what I was doing, very comfortable with it. Uh, but I didn't know sort of the community. The Python community is, of course, immense because Python is used everywhere and for so many things. Uh, but I did never went to DjangoCon. I never went to PyCon, nothing like that. And for Elixir, that coincided with me running my own business. So I think I took a different tack for one thing. And it's also a much smaller community. So it became a people thing as well. But I don't feel like I've necessarily left Python behind in the way that I've left, left PHP behind. Because I would still pick up Python for some quick and dirty scripts where Elixir, uh, it's getting a lot better for scripting. But I, Python is uh, really powerful for scripting and very straightforward to script with. Yep. And sort of library support is uh, immense out there. So, like, I control my my video lights uh, with with Python currently. It's quite exciting. It's quite exciting also to see you hack away on the keyboard and suddenly the lights change. It's there's something about that. Uh, yeah, connecting <laughs> connecting the the physical world with the digital. It's very satisfying. Yeah. Tap, 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 new light. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I'm iterating on that. Uh, there's there's some Raspberry Pi things I'm going to be doing where where I should be able to just press a button and Wi-Fi happens and things go off on brighter, dimmer. That's that's up next in one of my cool. <laughs> my plans. But you you're doing Elixir right now, but I know you do. Like, if I would guess your primary programming languages, I would say Python and Haskell. Yeah, it's I've. I think I have more hours in Python, and but I, I'm really in love with uh, Haskell. It's something about that language. It brings lots of fun into programming. I can, usually quite easily, uh, abstract away the boring and tedious parts. Uh, when I'm doing Haskell. But on my day job, I'm doing Elixir primarily. I've done some JavaScript too, because you never get away from JavaScript. No, so I feel like JavaScript is, if you do web programming, JavaScript is there. Yep. <laughs> it's just it's just a fact of life. And for some people, that's the programming language they do. Yeah. And I can see some upside in just just dealing with the one language. But I don't think I would ever want JavaScript to be that language. And even if you say, oh, but TypeScript, that's still true. <laughs> that's still not what I would want. <laughs> My interpretation of TypeScript is that it's the sort of .NET of JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, have you gotten any pushback on that? No, <laughs> no. But I haven't floated it to many people. And it's like... The only people I would probably have a useful discussion with about that is in one JavaScript-focused channel I'm in, so a Slack channel for JS Party, the podcast. Oh, cool. And I try not to get into fights <laughs> because <laughs> it's like they, they do a nice thing. They're enjoying their language. Have fun. Have a party. I, I don't. What, yeah. I wanna don't wanna rain on that parade, but I don't like it much. Indeed. Actually, I I like JavaScript. I don't like the ecosystem. <laughs> huh. I I have fond feelings for vanilla J JavaScript. Yeah, there's something about vanilla JavaScript. Just just doing a a some. Just working with it without importing any libraries and it's gotten so good making something happen yeah that too i haven't i haven't been tracking javascript for the last uh, five years or something um, before then i had quite a good idea what happened in the language but now i just um i'm not up to date anymore but i did use brunch uh last week oh dear uh yeah it's it's when I figured out how it works, which took way too long time, it just works. And that's so cool. I did use it on an existing project, though. It was using Gulp, and I think Gulp is... Gulp.js, that is. And I think Gulp.js is end of life. I haven't seen an update on it for a while. So... But, I mean, if you want to be be up to speed shouldn't you be using parcel 2 vite snowpack or es build i tried to make parcel work parcel 2 uh. and it didn't 
So because I I've used parcel one for a long time because it just works. Yeah. Uh, and now parcel one is in my life. So okay, let's not use that for something new. So I tried parcel two and it was like meh. and it wanted way too many dependencies to work in a Docker file mm. or in a Docker container. And um, that's not fun. So I threw it out. I think I spent two or three hours getting that to work and then two or three hours getting branch to work. Yeah. So I've never been very sort of handy with build tools overall. Like I never really spent the time to learn make properly. Oh, it's, yeah. And I don't really know what's going on when you run dot slash configure but I, I know how to do it <laughs> and, and I know how to troubleshoot it sometimes. But when you run dot, the sort of dot slash configure make make install, which was the thing when I was doing Slackware, or it was one of the things you did yeah. back in the day of Linux, that stuff, I never yeah. really knew what was going on under the hood. And then like in professional life, I didn't spend a bunch of time with creating Python installable packages, so the setup.py or whatever. I didn't spend a lot of time with that. I didn't get into NPM packages or modules. So a lot of a lot of those formats and a lot of those ways of sort of specifying, like it should do this and it should do that and it should build in this way has always been a bit of mystery meat to me. Like I can modify parts of it because it's, it's sort of obvious. Mm-hmm. And some parts are, are just so dense and annoying to parse that I never bother. And I think, so for example, make files, they are not the most easy and approachable things, but no, they are definitely unacquired. Yeah. But I think I, I grok those better than, (laughs) than anytime I sit down to try to parse like, oh, yeah, so Java and .NET and their XML configs, XML-based wow. projects, those are hellscapes to me. It's it's just dense and supposed to be managed by by an editor, so it's not human readable really. <laughs> and then yeah. you get to JavaScript, and it's like, oh, but it's all JSON. It's all just JSON. But it's so much JSON. Yep. Like a Webpack config, I absolutely can't stand dealing with it. <laughs> and I feel like it's been that way for all non-trivial um, sort of JavaScript build setups I've seen up to a certain point. And... I'm hoping he has built for Phoenix will will be will be nicer than that. It seems I'll have to pull in some JavaScript stuff if I want Tailwind and stuff such. Regardless, so I, I guess I'll I'll still be dealing with some .jsons to to manage, but they're at least very small. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so ESLint ES build not ESLint ES so ESBuild is the Anakin Skywalker of uh, JavaScript packagers. I don't know. What 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 are you going for here? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
they're supposed to bring balance oh, to yeah. the force. Uh, well, it's going to bring performance to the to the bundler, at least. That's very good. I was impressed by Brunch, but I'm, I'm kind of in love with that packager at okay. the moment. Uh, it will probably pass. So I believe Elixir and Phoenix, or not Elixir, but Phoenix, used Brunch before they went to Webpack. Before they went to ES Build. Cool. When did you start using Phoenix? Was it in the Webpack era brunch. or in the Brunch era? What did you think about it at all? I think I had some issue at some point, but I bet it was NPM. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I don't, I didn't really see any any big issues, but I know they transitioned to Webpack because they felt like they were dealing with like more than 50% of the issues they were getting were brunch related. Ouch. Uh, and then they did Webpack for a good long while. And uh, at a certain point, they were like, yep, more than 50% of the issues are uh, Webpack related. <laughs> Can we just get reproducible <laughs> JavaScript builds, please? And then they're like, oh, maybe if we download a very small Go binary. That's usually a very good solution to things. So yeah, build tools for programming languages. Uh, they rarely spark joy, but they're also typically quite important yeah and i think that's where where sort of ruby uh, struck a chord with with just sort of focusing on making things convenient or at least rails did i don't i don't know ruby itself that well and i don't know rails that well but that's all people keep talking about how easy it is it wasn't that ruby's thing uh, developer happiness, or was it? I, I think, I think a bit of both. So I, oh cool. I think it started with Ruby, and then I think Rails sort of ran with it and pushed it quite far. Yeah. And I mean, Elixir picks up off of that and comes with some very nice build tools, in my estimate. So we, I don't find the project file for an Elixir mix project to be mystery meat almost mo and i don't think that's just because it's so much better i think that's partly just i've also built up experience in reading <laughs> in reading stupid files <laughs> and uh and uh have gotten comfortable with mix specifically but it it does it does have a pretty decent structure to it it's like this these are your dependencies. This is the application that gets started. Uh, these are additional commands you've added for running or aliases for other commands. And these are your compilers. And it's like, I don't know what the Phoenix compiler does, but it's it's uh, coupled into sort of the Elixir compiler chain. And so if there's... If you need to hook in more compile compilation tools, there's a sort of natural place to do it. Sweet. Yeah, and there's like Phoenix provides good config for plugging in watchers and recompiling on change for sort of assets and stuff. So even some of those fairly complicated things, when you start scratching at them, it's like, oh, 
Oh, uh, yeah, okay. This is fairly obvious when you when you look closely at it. It's not mystery is all the way down. It's like, where does this come from? <laughs> oh, it's in a package somewhere. Yeah, it's quite straightforward. I've, I've done some work in Rust and Haskell and Python and so on. Uh, in Python, the packaging story is not there yet. Um, I believe they're working on it, and there's probably a pep or a three, but... And yeah, I've heard so many complaints about the Python packaging story, and it to me it was like, coming from PHP, it was so much better. Yeah, you run pip install and things work. Yeah, pip install dash r requirements.txt. It's like, oh, there's a convention here. Yeah. <laughs> that is better than the old days of php yeah so php had this composer uh, or it has composer and composer.far p-h-a-r oh it's a i think that's the package manager for php still or these days and cool. it was just starting to show up in my circles when i essentially stopped php so uh, in the world where I lived, PHP did not have a package manager. Uh, <laughs> WordPress did, uh, Drupal did, yep. and they were, of course, separate and entirely different ecosystems. But they had they had their own way of manage, managing packages and plugins and stuff. Yeah, I, I it was quite horrible how the old versions of PHP BB, one of the most popular forum softwares back in the day, worked because. Uh, when I I installed it somewhere and I scrounged around the webs for plugins because plugins are king. I knew that when I was a teenager at least. And the way to install a plugin was to run the command patch on the source code. And that means that you couldn't install how many plugins you liked because they all changed the source code and you couldn't upgrade PHP BB when you had installed plugins. Yeah. Because then, yeah, nothing nice would happen from that. So. And these lessons were hard learned and then brought forth in WordPress and Drupal and Joomla and all of those yep. that all had sort of this, oh, but you shouldn't hack core. Exactly. Or you shouldn't modify uh, the base sort of uh, software that you are extending you should extend it via the modules and plugins and extensions or whatever they offer yep and that was a great step forward but the files were right there <laughs> i mean <laughs> that too. it's not weird that people ended up changing some php files because that's how you do php <laughs> yeah that's true and when you do django it might generate a project for you but then that's your project and you can change it any way you like but yeah php has a very particular sort of uh, model for for delivering code and yeah it's cost all sorts of fun <laughs> over time <laughs> exactly uh but i was thinking that that the most of the package managers or dependency managers and stuff like that, the tooling for the different programming languages, they are a bit alike. So it's 
uh, that's one good reason for learning many programming languages uh, that you get exposed to all of the this tooling and I I'm, this might seem strange but I'm quite fond of the NPM tool because it, it does things quite well and it's kinda user-friendly until it says npm install-g some package and then I want to um okay we're having we have a very complicated relationship um because then then I become angry when it says install this globally it will be fun everything will work out um yeah oh well yeah I'm rambling so I definitely think it's it's good to learn multiple programming languages. I think it's good it's best to build a decent chunk of experience in one just to have that sort of uh craftsman uh or craftsperson skill set in your pocket mm-hmm. where like I can do serious work with this tool. And then expand from there like uh, picking up a ton of different languages uh, right out the gate when learning programming is probably very ineffective and confusing (laughs) very confusing but after a while there's so there's a lot to learn from from touching many different languages and ecosystems just because they have their differences and similarities and that that is, I think, what lets you start to figure out what you actually like. Because the f- if you like programming itself and, and or enjoy it or want to work w- as a programmer and you pick up a programming language, that programming language will seem uniquely suited <laughs> to solving yes. programming tasks because it's the only language you know, it's, it's the hammer you have and everything looks like a nail. Yeah. <laughs> And until you've picked up at least one programming language that is different enough, you have nothing to compare. Yeah. And that's interesting in many ways. What What is a programming language that's different enough? Yeah, so I, for example, I don't think you learn a lot about your own sort of values and preferences by switching between csharp.net and uh, Java Enterprise. Nah. Or Enterprise Java, I guess. Java Enterprise Edition. <laughs> no, but Java overall. Yeah. Um, because they are quite similar. And I imagine you might not learn all that much about your own preferences switching between uh, maybe Kotlin and Swift because they seem to be the same school of modern language, which is uh, they they wield every paradigm to some extent. Yeah, they might also be different enough. They might be. Because they approach the same things from different angles, but I haven't programmed in any of them, so (laughs) I'm just hoping here. But they they are also both intended to do sort of mobile app UI, which means that you're working you're working on similar enough things. I yeah. I don't know what you can glean from that or not. But if you're comparing, let's see, let's say 
C++ and Python, I think you will feel like they are tools suited to different things. Yeah, here's the interesting part. You can program C++ as if it was Python. Just ignore all the pointers. Never use a pointer if you can. Uh, and use the, the modern part, the standard template library with all the stuff from there because then you get the vector, you get the algorithms header and all stuff like that. Uh, and it makes life so much easier. On the other hand, C++ is a huge language compared to Python, which is quite small yeah. language-wise. It's... Um, but you can still use Python as a very nice wrapper around C. Uh, so it's... Hmm. <laughs> I mean, those... But I think that's, that's also where, where you would be asked, asked that question sort of implicitly. Like, okay, but when do you use which language? Because you can interrupt, interrupt yeah. between Python and C, for example. So when would you... Yep pick which one like okay i think most would argue that python is slightly faster to to be productive uh in and like you could build more in a shorter time with python because it's a higher level of abstraction absolutely but it wouldn't be as performant it's harder to be as strict probably like c is um, c is debatable nah, because nah, c, uh, c lets you be nah, very yeah. very wild if you really want to yeah but but they are really quite different languages uh i think yeah both yes and no <laughs> it <laughs> but then if you add something functional like a functional programming language yeah that's definitely one moment where you'll see Oh, this this is very different from what I've been doing in OOP. Funnily enough, functional programming isn't so different from what you do when you first learn programming, usually. Sli sort of functions and procedural. Yeah. Because you go back to sort of a, a kind of simplicity, but if you... The purity part and the the isolation and no shared state uh, is a very important distinction. But in many ways, like <laughs> simple functions, that's typically how I write Python. It's a good way. A function is a very good abstraction. Yeah. No, but I think, I think you get the most use of programming languages when you learn several that aren't that similar. But I've also had some benefit from comparing and contrasting sort of python and php which i would say are roughly the same abstraction level they're both uh, very dynamic scripting languages yep but they are also quite different as far as languages go oh yes their execution models for web applications is very different yeah i don't know if they are so different anymore but they were absolutely well if you put a .py file on your file system uh, your web browser will not just execute it because someone went to slash index.py. And that's kind of boring, but I was thinking about PHP has, has gone in the other direction where you can use, what's the name of it, PHP FPM, and then run the whole PHP interpreter runtime thing as a daemon. Right, so yeah, the 
the sort of CGI side of things, like um, the gate gateway interface, I guess. Common gateway interface. Yeah, in this case, just gateway interface because it's different. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so FPM versus whiskey, I guess. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. So that does change a few things about how PHP is executed, but it doesn't change the executing files on the disk, I don't think. Oh, cool. I'm, maybe it can, uh, but that's... So it's a... You can config it to be a drop-in replacement for, I guess, mod PHP. That was the old thing. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, but the typical way I've run Python has been at least set up a, an app server like uh, a Gunicorn. And then then proxy something to it. Uh, or proxy, reverse proxy from Nginx, Nginx to it. Yeah, uh, and that's oh <laughs> yeah. Then um, I always find that so so uh, uh, tedious that I just copy all the configuration from the previous project. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> so if they update something in a way that's new and cool and a better way to do it, I won't. I won't get those updates. <laughs> Speaking of patching plugins into a project so what's your your uh, what's the part of elixir uh, you like the least hmm. because you you haven't you have been very reasonable today so <laughs> i need to poke you with something sharp and see if <laughs> we can get some byline let's let's get me good and angry now yeah hmm. i don't particularly like writing tests but that's not a uh, that's not a problem with Elixir. The test tooling is great. I just ah. don't like writing tests sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem with all programming languages. Let's see. Hmm. I, I don't really love the way you sort of have to decide between a with approach or a pipeline approach. So I think I've never used with. I'm, uh, yeah. What's the cool part of with? Why do you use with? I use with fairly rarely, but I, I've i also seen people argue that you should be using with sort of all the time uh, and do, what is it, railroad-style programming or railroad-based programming or whatever. The idea being you, you sort of uh, match on the happy path and then return and then manage a bunch of errors in an else statement. So... The with clause or the with uh, statement in Elixir uh, lets you run a function or evaluate something and match on the result. And if the match checks out, it proceeds to the next part of the with statement, which can either be sort of the body of the with statement. So then it's similar to an if statement or a case statement. Yep. Uh, or you can have more clauses. Okay. So it keeps requiring a match. So is this successful? Is this successful? Typically, you would do matching on OK tuples. Yeah. That's a typical with uh, example. So 
I loaded the user. Oh, now I have an OK user match. I loaded their company. Now I have an OK company match. I've loaded all their widgets. Now I have an OK and widgets match. And if any of these fail, you would f fall down to the either else statement or the error is just returned. Hmm. Or rather the non-matching result. Yeah. So if you have a bunch of functions that prov sort of provide a uniform error result, you can just use the with to do happy, patch ma uh, happy path matching and then do your thing with all those results. And if any of them fail, it will return the non-match and you ideally that's a sort of uniform error or you put in an else section where you handle and then you can match on the error types this is the thing you can do so many different approaches with with which mm -hmm. tells me that it's sort of too too much tool ah. and for simplicity, I almost always prefer just a case statement. It's like, oh, okay, or error, handle that, do the next thing. So you, you build a staircase out of cases. <laughs> a staircase. Yeah, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> a case stair is what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I'd usually prefer that, and then Credo, the linter, will shout at me, and then I'll be like, ah, oh, do I disagree with this rule? Not enough to reconfigure Credo, so I guess I'll refactor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I try to work with Vanilla Credo, but Vanilla Credo has some, some opinions that I don't necessarily agree with, but it's, yeah, it's straightforward enough. Yeah. Uh, what about instead just... Or just, uh, what about instead putting the matches you want in the function, in the function body? Going, I can, okay, I got the user, okay, I got the uh, widget thing. And have it blow up if it uh, fails the match? Yeah, let it crash. Yeah, so that's all good if you want to disregard the error. Yeah. That's true. I don't think uh, an error like that is... I don't think it's necessarily easy to rescue the the failed match. Maybe it is. I haven't actually tried. Uh, it shouldn't be too hard, but maybe it shouldn't be done. Maybe a with statement is better. Yeah, it seems like it maybe shouldn't be done. So I absolutely do that when there's like, I don't expect this to ever fail. And if it ever fails, what I would want is to provide uh, an error. It doesn't have to be a nice error. <laughs> then it's just like, okay, uh, match for an okay tuple. I just want to make sure that it crashes if this happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Then I would let it crash. <laughs> but I yeah, I think that's probably one of one of the parts of the language that I, I like the least. the with, But the with statement serves a purpose and it can be very... It can make for some very clean code for particular use cases, but it's almost too powerful. Yep. I also don't 
essentially ever use the for loop hmm. or the for comprehension. So that's... Yeah, the comprehension. Yeah, so that's also one of those. You can do so much with it. So it can do... What it typically does is you tell it to iterate on something that's enumerable and it will generate it will provide you the value and you can do something with the value and if you just return that value you will get a list of whatever you put in yep but you could also tell it to shove it into a map by passing the into keyword and then a map so it can yes. accept an uh, what are those called collectibles or collectors or something it sounds like a a protocol and you can tell it to and you can match on the generator statement sort of deal and i believe it will filter based on that match yeah i think i've seen something like that but that's not necessarily clear to anyone well <laughs> i mean you have to know yeah you have to know what the for loop uh, the for comprehension what the semantics of that is and what it does and it does, yeah. Uh, and it can do a lot of things. So that means it's a little bit complicated. It basically does enum. So what I typically do yeah. is, oh, I want to map these things, and then I want to filter them, and then I want to do this, and then I would want to do that. That becomes a perfect use of pipes and very clear steps. Yep. So I tend to prefer to do that. <laughs> Explicit before implicit yeah i i yeah i have a i do have a gripe with that actually because every time you add an let's say a new map or a new filter or uh, reduces almost one of these uh, and the other ones that walk through the whole collection of stuff yeah then you add another n steps where the length of the collection is n yeah so to everything so if you have 10 of them you're doing 10 n operations yeah so there's an inefficiency in doing enum 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 uh, like different piping through different enum functions yep and if i feel like it's getting a bit too heavy you can always replace all of it with one reduce <laughs> <laughs> and then the code is unreadable yeah essentially i guess what you can also do is uh, replace all of those enums with stream except for the last one yeah exactly and then you execute yeah i typically don't do that because stream is slightly more confusing than enum yeah i don't care about confusingness i know uh, but <laughs> so be happy that you're not reading my code no but typically stream is fine to fine to reason about yeah it's it's a little bit annoying when you're when you need to deal with something midstream or try to figure out if it's working midstream yeah because you need to to like drain the stream yeah otherwise nothing happens i found out about that <laughs> some weeks ago <laughs> it was interesting uh, and it doesn't scream and say, this isn't an evaluated stream. Nothing happens. There's nothing illegal about unevaluated streams. Maybe you want to put them on the shelf for a bit and execute them later. Yeah, but I thought when I gave a stream to Absinthe that I would get uh, 
the, the graph QL or the JSON representation of it. Oh. And I didn't. So, meh. <laughs> yeah, but there are parts of the language where I feel like they are maybe a little bit too capable yep. in a way that can be confusing. So I could, you can write some very dense for comprehensions and I don't find them, I don't find that necessarily helpful. And you can write some very complex with statements that sort of end up being an anti-pattern. Mm-hmm. But it's also, they're also useful tools, so I wouldn't discount them uh, necessarily. It's, But I, I use both of those with some apprehension and I definitely, definitely often replace them with something else when, as they grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's similar to, so in Python, I use list comprehension. I've used plenty of list comprehensions and plenty of dictionary comprehensions or whatever they're called. Yeah, you can basically put any word before comprehension and it exists in Python. And those are super useful when you just need to map something quickly. But if you do too much stuff in them, they're absolutely unreadable. (laughs) Yep. I love putting in uh, a ternary if uh, in the value part of the comprehension. Because then it becomes totally unreadable. You would. Yep. <laughs> uh, programming is just another arena for me to troll. Did you know that? Uh, I, I had a I had a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I don't mind if statements, but I almost prefer uh, case statements to if statements because I find them more explicit. Yeah, and you can pattern match. But you can pattern match in an if statement in Elixir. Uh, not as well, <laughs> in as good way. You can't, you can't really break out things uh, from the thing you're pattern matching on. No? Uh, in an if statement or if in expression. In what way? Uh, because, because the result in the, uh, the first part should always be a boolean. Uh, and then a boolean is usually not very interesting. I don't believe it has to be. It has to be truthy? Uh, well, anything... So now I'm actually a little bit uncertain. So Does Elixir have the same true semantics as Ruby? Or as Erlang? Or as a combination of Let's them? see. I need to check. <laughs> uh, if and unless. Yeah, we have unless. So... It's a macro. So nil is falsy, which makes sense to me. Cool. But I know that I know that you can match in it, and I wonder if the fact that it matches is the important part or what the return value of the match is. I'm not actually sure. <laughs> Truthy and falsy values. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I guess if you match on something being nil, you might be in trouble. But I bet you would use is nil for that. Yeah, or a case statement or case expression. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe I believe the if statement is quite flexible when it comes to comes to that kind of matching. 
hmm. but I prefer a case statement because it, like, I like switch statements, <laughs> and <laughs> the case is just a quicker and cleaner case, a switch statement in that way. Yep. Uh, and you can also add guards, and then you have your if in it. Yeah. I'm 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 having trouble with guards because I can never write what I want in them. Yeah, they're they're a little bit limited. I don't use a lot of guards. Yeah. But I think like, I don't use a lot of types, uh, as you know, when types are available either. So yeah, I I think that's. Like how how much do you want to ascertain that your input is what you expect it to be? Ah, uh, I, it's like this. Haskell has pattern matching state uh, case statements or case expressions. Yeah. Uh, and guards that look like pipe and then an expression. And the expression can be anything that evaluates to a boolean. Okay. So with that. I go into Elixir and go like, hmm, I could make this yeah. using a case expression and guards, and then I can't, of course. Yeah, yeah, in Elixir, guards are a little bit more specific. Because limitations. So I'm, I'm, I don't like them. That's <laughs> I can't use them for I forgive you. what I want to use them for. So programming languages, there are yeah. many of them. Something I would still want to learn is uh, more C. Yeah. Just because I would like to be able to hack on things that I sort of big old things like I imagine FFmpeg is probably built in C. It might be built in C++. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but things like that, big old open source projects that would feel good to contribute to when you're 60. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't do that with Python. Well... There will be many big old project open source projects written in Python when you're 60. <laughs> yeah, so. but I want to be a curmudgeon writing C. Ah, got it. And I guess I would probably start with sort of Zig or Rust at this point because it feels more sort of more appropriate. But then again, that doesn't open those doors, doesn't sort of open the potential of hacking around in C dependencies that are broken. Yeah. I think starting with Sig or Rust could be a good start just to get get your feet wet in the domain yeah. with a language that helps you rather than go, well, that's... Yeah. <laughs> that's certainly a thing. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I've played around with writing some C, but it's so limited. Yeah. And I, I sort of like it because it has this particular simplicity about it. It's a very small language, yeah. and that's nice. And I think that's, like, if there's anything I want to communicate to other programmers that are sort of hesitant about picking up a new language, like, most of what you've learned as a programmer apply to other languages. Yeah, not all languages, not all things learned. But... Yeah, and not all parts of it, but learning new program programming languages is both frustrating and fun in the same way that learning your first one is but it's also yep. easier the second time around and it's easier the third time around and it's definitely easier the fourth time around and then you pick a really weird language and then it's harder again yep um <laughs> exactly 
because languages are more or less uh, like each other. Uh, if you're really good at OCaml, Haskell is probably not too horrible. But if you're really good at C, Haskell is probably horrible. Yeah, there are definitely lots of people out there that are sort of meta interested in programming languages, and that's not entirely my jam. I'm I'm slightly curious about programming languages, but I'm so I'm so inclined to wanting to do hands only stuff. That's like you want to do the buttons. Yeah, I want to do the buttons. That got to you, right? That, yeah. that stuck. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget that. But it's it's very true. It's so sometimes I go on a, a binge where I sort of try to build something a little bit more abstract where code generates code that could build a cool system or something, but it's always with an end goal of building a thing. Buttons. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I I wouldn't go into sort of oh I want to build a linter for this probably. Uh, that's all probably too language meta for me. Uh, building a language, building a compiler, only if I knew what I wanted it to do probably. Hmm. Yeah. And for some people, that's uh, like they're curious enough about programming as such and. I'm, I don't think I quite am, and I'm perfectly happy not being that. And I'm glad that there are people that are curious because that's on those parts, about those parts, because they're pushing that forward. Meanwhile, I will push buttons, my stuff forward. <laughs> uh, right now, my stuff is mostly pushing Raspberry Pis around on my desk, but yeah, and building web apps because that pays the bills. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I really like programming. I don't think I love programming languages the way some people like love programming languages. I don't I don't get super invested in the theory of it. And that's okay. Yeah, it's yeah. It's if if I recall correctly, you don't get super invested in the theory of anything. You like to do things. That's true. Uh like the only reason I know things about music theory, for example, is because I've tried and failed and kept trying to do some musical things. And like, yeah. unless I learn about some notes or practice a ton of uh, sort of music by ear, I can't get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when that's when I sort of hunker down like, okay, give me that goddamn theory. <laughs> and um, that's also true for for sort of functional programming, object-oriented programming. It's like, oh, okay, it seems like I should probably learn this at this point. <sighs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, this seems applicable. Let's use it. And then I wield it like, uh, like my new hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I should really find out how I can teach you about monads. You have have some natural defenses against them. And, and <laughs> I'll have to find some way out. Because when you learn about it, <laughs> there'll be monads everywhere. But, uh, let's see. The Elm result is just a monad, right? I don't know. I haven't, haven't programmed in Elm. It's either an OK type or an error type. It should it could be a monad? Should be a monad? Yeah. Okay. That's underwhelming, <laughs> isn't it? 
moments are extremely underwhelming. I mean, it's useful. Yes, extremely useful. I hate when I have to use a result instead of a maybe, and I really don't like when I need to use either of them, but <laughs> because it always complicates matters. But it also has a certain clarity. Yeah, you can use the you can use fmap or bind. I don't know if the name is bind in Elm. I don't think it is. But, yeah. Nah. So there's a bunch of and then and then and then oh with default and uh, yeah. Uh, and then is bind in Elm, but it's slightly longer. <laughs> <laughs> bind is usually spelled greater than greater than. Equal. So. Actually, those are sort of similar to to with in Elixir. Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, uh, if you do with on an OK tuple, if it's an error tuple, you would pass it along. Yep. You would just not do the thing. And I guess that's, that's sort of a similar approach. Exactly. It's all about error handling. Yeah. And error handling is... So I think I prefer functional languages handling of handling of error handling honestly um to <laughs> sort of throwing and throwing exceptions in oop but that doesn't mean i i like it because error handling is what turns nice looking code into crap looking code uh, yeah. almost all the time i'm very fond of exceptions do you like code generation by the way I haven't really worked with it for the last yeah, 20 years. So I, I'm going to be probably integrating with the Jira API. Oh, good Lord. Or I mean, how exciting. Yeah, very, very. Um, and looking... So the first thing I did was look for mature libraries. And yeah. I found two Elixir libraries that were both looking fairly... Uh, fairly superficial or uh, incomplete, unmaintained. Mm. And when it comes to well-used APIs and sort of uh, widely used APIs, they often have a machine-readable spec of some sort. Yep. So for uh, like AWS or GCP or Azure, you should be able to generate APIs, otherwise they're doing something wrong. Ah, yes. And then they do they communicate by protobufs or something like that? So no, uh, Jira has a REST API. And like uh, the thing isn't that they expose protobufs as, a, as contracts, but I think most of them have some kind of spec that you can use to parse out whatever the API is. Okay, like OpenAPI or a GraphQL or something. Yeah, something like that. And uh, Jira has... Uh, Waddle file, so WADL. Oh, cool. Which is like WSDL, but for REST APIs. Oh, okay. Okay. I have never had a good experience with WSDL. So why did they name it Waddle? Because they needed to compete with uh, SOAP, obviously. <laughs> oh, okay. So Because SOAP wouldn't, wouldn't just go away, would it? I'm still hoping it will. Are, are, hey, so... Are you saying that I should be avoiding Waddle too? I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. It, it's ex, it's so far it looks like XML with JSON in it, so I don't like it. Wow. But I'm thinking that's probably how I'll I'll get us a, a decent 
remotely capable Jira client yeah. uh, code generation. And that's, that's also sort of a technique I didn't have in my tool belt early on as a programmer. Just the idea that sometimes it's worth writing code that writes code. <laughs> yeah. Or writing code that just meta program generates a bunch of uh, code for you. Yeah. I kind of, I didn't have it in my tool belt, but I used it when I did some programming in Delphi, Borland okay. Delphi. Because then when you, when you put a button on a grid uh, and you double click the button, uh, then you create a click handler for it. And in the background somewhere, uh, lots and lots and lots of code is generated so it works on Windows. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have to see the Win32 API. And That's very uh, nice of them. Yeah, <laughs> because Win32 API is gnarly. Yeah, I think these are the types of things that uh, is interesting when you when you read more when you work more when you try different things you at least get these options and it's like yeah so there are two choices that i see as relevant right now mm -hmm. and that's implementing the absolute minimum part of the year api that we need yep just the endpoints we need uh, which might be very straightforward and very uh, sort of minimal effort yep but I also, I'm also not sure what parts of the Jira API we will need in the longer term. So then it might be worth having, having just automatically generated out all of it, which would probably take longer than writing the absolute minimal. But it would also um, be sort of, uh, sort of future proofy. Yeah. And finding that balance. Yeah, I, I think that's where where you where the new challenge is. <laughs> it's like, yeah. At one point, I wouldn't even have considered generating code in that way. And at a certain point, it's like, oh, should I generate the code or should I just write it? <laughs> and where is the sweet spot? Where's the breakpoint? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I recently didn't know the shape of some data, so I s ran through all of the data and just had it build a shape for me sort of in a map or whatever <laughs> and yep. then i generated a bunch of schemas off of that because based on what i saw in the data that was also <laughs> that also saved me a ton of time like i maybe i spent four hours instead of painstakingly like investigating the data and correctly interpreting all the fields that were there and figuring out what what values they could have so maybe i spent four hours uh, generating and uh, polishing the result when i think it would have been maybe two three days of work to to just implement by hand hmm. interesting yeah the, there's i think that's that kind of i guess that's a meta programming technique would you say I suppose so. Programming, programming. Yeah. Along with uh, generic programming and uh, what are the other ones? Macros, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and that's also a question when, when you're doing Elixir. For, for a thing like this Jira deal, should I be write, 
generating the code as macros or should I actually be generating code and just sort of here's here's a bunch of source <laughs> yeah it's a tricky one yeah especially explicit versus versus implicit right because you never typically see the output of your macros yeah but unless they crash in interesting ways yeah yes. <laughs> so programming it's a it's a deep hole to fall into but i rather like it how do you feel about programming these days do you like it i like it i like it a lot it's fun in a very different way now uh, which it hasn't been before uh, and but i think that's more more that i have enthusiastic colleagues that are competent and happy and solution oriented uh, and uh, where it's okay to fail and i fail a lot so that's <laughs> uh, i should put that on my cv i fail a lot hello i'm andreas i fail a lot I think that's I think that's a good, good sort of uh, icebreaker. Yeah, and and which is why I'm, I have a very very. I don't think I do DevOps. It's I don't know the definition, but I do some Dev and I do some Ops, and I have have a very particular way of doing it, so I can fail a lot without the place I'm working out going out of business. Uh, <laughs> so, but. It's great fun learning Elixir. It's great fun learning a new language. It's great fun uh, finding a new code base, which has grown organically over quite a few years. Uh, and uh, that's interesting. Just spelunking around in a code basis. Yeah, and it's a it's a fairly interesting code base considering <laughs> I've seen it. I can actually speak to it. Yeah, and that, there are some some architectural decisions and some decisions which... I don't agree with it at all, <laughs> but it still works, so eh. <laughs> Yeah, first time I saw that code base and figured out, tried to figure out parts of how it worked, it was like head scratch, head scratch. Yeah. Oh, that sort of makes sense. And yeah, I guess that works. It, it's a very particular approach, Yeah. but it, I couldn't say that it's bad because it's, it seems to be working fine mostly. Good fun. I don't think I would have built anything like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But if I had started from scratch, but on the other hand, I'm the way I prefer to code is so that I can read the code from the top of the file to the bottom of the file, and then we're done. No indirection at all, and it seems to drive my peers <laughs> mad. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's definitely an opinionated approach. Yep, procedural almost. Indeed. Uh, that's how I roll. You should call that should be at the top of the CV. <laughs> I'm a procedural programmer. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I like programming right now. It's fun. Uh, it's fun to work in another language than Python. I think it would also be great fun to work in Haskell, but then I would have to produce reasonable Haskell that other people could read. So I don't know if that would remove the fun from it. I'm, that's one of, one of the big fears I have, actually. Yeah, that's also one of those challenges. It's like, maybe this part of it is mostly fun when I get to do it the way I want to do it. Yeah. For example, yeah, take JavaScript. I don't mind sitting down and hacking on some JavaScript for my own needs, for my website 
That's just like, oh, I write JavaScript until it worked. Yep. But I I want to be slightly more professional when I deal with clients. So I'd rather not write JavaScript for them if I can avoid it because it's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying to do nicely. 